Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining us this month to talk about what landowners need to know when it comes to hunting leases is Tiffany Lashmitt, an agricultural law specialist for Texas AgriLife Extension. This episode of TSCRA Talk is sponsored by Landvisor from Corteva AgriScience. Landvisor Advanced Breast Management provides a whole new way to see the potential of your land. Landvisor combines sophisticated imagery, data, technology, and expert guidance to give you confidence in your land management decisions. To learn more, visit landvisor.corteva.com or click the link in the show notes. Tiffany, welcome to TSCRA Talk. We are so glad to have you with us today. Yeah, Kristen, thanks for having me. Now, today we're talking about hunting and how it can be a great source of revenue for landowners, but it's important that they have the correct setup legally. So what does a landowner need to know before leasing their land for hunting or having anyone come out to hunt, whether they're selling the hunts directly? Yeah, for sure. So it's one of those things, like you said, it can be a really great way to diversify income while you're still, you know, maintaining a cattle operation or a sheep operation or something like that. So I think that that's, that's a really good point. But, right, it's not as easy as just like taking somebody's cash and letting them show up, or it shouldn't be at least. And so I always really tell people that before you decide to lease out your hunting rights, and like you said, whether you're doing that directly or you're going to lease them to somebody who will then lease them to a third party, there's a couple things you need to do. The first thing I think is make sure you've got a written hunting lease that really lays out kind of the rights and responsibilities of everybody, puts in their limits, anything you want to make sure people aren't doing though kind of details you would expect to have in a lease. The other thing is you want to take some really important steps related to landowner liability protection. In case somebody does get injured while they're out there hunting, there are a few things you can do to make sure you're protected in that type of situation. So there's homework to do before diving in. Talk us through some of the things that should be in the lease. What are the top things that come to mind? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the first thing is you need to have a lease in writing. And I know that in agriculture, we're not always the best at that, but it's really important to write this down. I tell people, right, when they say, well, if I ask my neighbor to sign a written lease, he'll just think I don't trust him or something. I don't think that's the way we should look at it. I'm really, I think a lease is just when, you know, two people can sit down and talk about, okay, what are the rules? Let's make sure we don't have a dispute. Let's make sure we're on the same page. I actually think that's a way to protect the relationship between them, right? So having a lease in writing is the first thing. As far as what to include in there, I'm going to be a lawyer on you, Kristen, and say it really kind of depends on your situation. A few key things, right? One is you need to be really clear about where they're allowed to hunt. A lot of times I recommend including a map or something as an attachment that makes really clear exactly where they're allowed to be. Spell out rules about what they're allowed to hunt, right? Is this a deer hunt? Is this a year-round hunt for anything that's in season? Anything like that, you want to make sure that you really spell out. Another thing that's important, I think, if you've got livestock on the property is to consider what's called a liquidated damages clause. Liquidated damages basically means we're going to just agree up front. If there is a certain type of damage that occurs, here's what you're going to pay. So for example, let's say somebody shoots one of your cows. You could, instead of fighting over, right, they're going to say, well, she'd be only be worth, you know, $600 at the sale barn. And inevitably, right, it's a cow that you have that you thought was going to go win something at Denver and you think she's worth 60000 Instead of fighting in between there, 
you could agree up front, right? If a cow is injured or killed by the hunters, here's what's going to be owed as damages. And you can contractually agree to that. Just a couple of other things that you may want to address. A lot of times people want to deal with drinking, ATV use, and open flames. Those are things you sometimes see either prohibited or, or limits on. You sometimes will see that. Another important thing I think in there to deal with is gates. I mean, we know, right? Like you need to leave a gate how you found it. If you've got somebody from the country who's coming to hunt, they probably know that as well. If you've got somebody from the city, you want to be careful there and make sure that they know exactly what you want done if they go through gates. You, we've seen examples of, of hunting leases that'll say, you know, they need to close all the gates and, and people will do that and not realizing that they're closing cows off from water or something. So that's another important issue to address. Anything related to cattle that you want to make sure they're aware of. Those are definitely important things to consider. Another thing that comes to mind is having a list of who's going to be on the property related to the hunting lease. Uh, Who's going to be filling the feeders? Will a house cleaner be coming out? That's important, I think, A, from just like, you know, having control and and knowledge about what's going on on your property, but also from a liability standpoint. I mean, in a minute, we'll talk about the concept of getting liability waivers from certain people. To do that, you're going to need to know who's out there. So one recommendation that I make is you have in the lease that you have to have a list of anybody who's going to be entering the property. And you may want to require, especially if those people are going to be hunting as well, that they also sign the hunting lease. And in particular, the reason for that is for someone on the property to be bound by the terms of the lease, they have to actually be a party to it, right? So let's say that I'm in a, I own land and I'm going to lease it and let Bob come hunting. Well, if Bob brings Bill with him and Bill has not signed that lease, and Bill does something that breaches the lease, I'm going to have a much harder time uh, from a legal standpoint because Bill hadn't signed it. So I always recommend any hunters that are going to come need to sign the lease. And I want to have a list and approve anybody who's going to be entering the property. That makes perfect sense. Now talk to us about the liability aspect. Yeah. I mean, I, I think truthfully, right, when anybody sort of starts looking at potentially adding hunting to an operation, one of the biggest concerns is the potential for liability And I think that there are several steps that you can take. I'm going to hit on just a couple that I think are probably the most important. The first thing is you need to make sure that you have liability insurance that covers hunters on your property. So, you know, if you've got a farm and ranch policy, just make sure that that also covers any injuries to paid hunters, for example. You don't want to find out later that that was an exclusion under the policy or or you didn't have the right endorsements or anything like that. Also important, you know, you mentioned earlier, maybe there's a cabin and there's people that are going to be spending the night. You want to make sure that you've got liability insurance that covers anything like that that may be going on on the property. So, so insurance, I think, is the first thing. Another thing that you need to look at that I think is really important and easily overlooked is there are a couple of statutes. One of them is called the Texas Recreational Use Statute. The other one is called the Texas Agritourism Act. Both of those provide limited liability to landowners in the event that someone is injured on your property while they're hunting. There can be protections for other activities too, but they specifically apply to hunting. And that's just essentially free limited liability protection if you just jump through the pretty simple hoops that they require. So I would sure take some time. I mean, I've got blog posts on it. I've got podcasts on it. Take some time to look at those two statutes and make sure that they apply to your operation. 
And then the third thing that I would say I mentioned earlier is liability waivers, or sometimes they're called liability releases. I think generally it's a good idea to have uh, hunters sign those liability waivers before they enter the property. In general, they're enforceable in Texas. There may be some exceptions as long as they you know, comply with Texas law, they're written as required. But that's another step that I think it's worth having as an option as a potential defense is a signed liability waiver. Well, it sounds like being diligent with the proper documents keeps everyone on the same page and protected. It's good for the landowner and it's good for the hunter too. Well, that's it, right? With the lease. I mean, a lot of times I really think, you know, you may have some bad apples that this doesn't apply to, but in general, I think your hunters probably want to comply with the rules, right? They probably want to come hunt there for the next 10 years. And so if we can just sit down and make sure we're all on the same page about what those rules are, I think that that can be super beneficial, like you say, both to the people that are hunting and to the landowner as well. Now, on the note of bad apples, what do you recommend is the approach? Okay. They aren't following your the rules. They aren't following the lease. They're making poor choices. What are the steps that a landowner should start with, go through to take care of the problem? Yeah, I mean, hopefully before you get there, you've done some thinking about who you really want to be your hunting tenant, right? I mean, you want to think about things like, you know, maybe you know their reputation. Do they have some sort of ranch experience? That that one's kind of important to me, right? Have they been on a ranch before? Do they understand anything about livestock? You know, has, has, you might talk to other people around if they've hunted on them before, make sure they didn't have any trouble. So I, I think do some some homework before you decide who you're going to lease to can be one thing that's really important. Once you've leased it, if there are problems, that's where hopefully you've got terms in the lease that deal with that, right? So there may be terms in there that say, you know, if you violate the provisions in this lease, we have the right to automatically terminate the lease. If that happens and it's something severe enough that that's you know, a step that you feel like you need to take, hopefully you've spelled out those rights in that lease agreement that gives you the ability to do that from a legal standpoint. Well, that makes sense. A common theme that continues to come up here on TSCRE Talk is the importance of relationships, whether it be buying or selling livestock, equipment. It's important to know who you're working with, who you're dealing with. And it sounds like the same is true with hunting leases. It's important to find people who fit the goals of why you're leasing the land for hunting. That No, Kristen, that's a really good point on the goals, right? Because one thing you also need to think about when you're doing these hunting leases is you know, you've got a wildlife management type plan probably as well, right? I mean, I, I think about our place. I mean, we're cattle ranchers. We, we do sell some hunts, but we, we want to be careful that we don't sell so many hunts that all of a sudden we are completely out of deer, right? And then next year, we don't have the opportunity to sell anything, you know, on the flip side, we may want to make sure that we're not killing too many bucks versus does. There, there are some sort of planning things you need to do there. And you really want to make sure that your hunters kind of share in your management philosophy. And so I think that that's important as well as just, right, you want to lease to good people. I mean, you don't want people out there who are doing things that are illegal or doing things that are dangerous. So that's where I think, like I said, doing some like background on this, really trying to kind of investigate who you're considering leasing to can be a really important step. So Tiffany, tell us about a hunting lease license. Yeah, Kristen, this is an area that is sort of funny. People either kind of know about it and they're like, well, yeah, of course we have to have one of those. That's been the rule for a long time. 
or people are like up in arms mad at me for telling them that this exists. So it's a provision in the Texas with Texas Parks and Wildlife that says if you're going to lease your private land for hunting and you're going to receive something of value in return. You have to obtain a hunting lease license from Texas Parks and Wildlife. And so, for example, right, if I'm going to let my neighbor come hunt for free, I don't have to worry about this because I'm not getting something of value in return. Okay, if I'm going to sell hunts, though, now I am required um, by Texas Parks and Wildlife to obtain this hunting lease license. And the cost varies depending on the size of the property. I think it ranges from like, maybe around $100 up to about $250. But that is a, a requirement that you may need to look into. And my understanding sort of around the state is that some game wardens will really um, kind of enforce it and are asking uh, that question. Others might not. So regardless of, of what your game warden does or doesn't do, that is a, a rule on the books that I at least think people need to be aware of. Yes, definitely. As we wrap up our conversation today... What parting words of wisdom do you have for our listeners when it comes to hunting leases? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think the biggest thing, like I say, is you, you never know what might happen, right? I mean, for the vast majority of us, we lease out hunting rights. We never have a problem, right? Nobody ever gets injured. Cows never get killed. There's never gates left open or inappropriately closed. We just don't have those issues. But when it arises, that's where you really need to have the legal protection that a lease the liability waivers, the limited liability statutes will apply for you. And so it's one of those things, right? Like I say, you never think it's going to happen to you and the odds are probably it won't. But man, if it does, I just think that having taken the time to really prepare ahead of time, make sure that things are at least as in order as they can be and you've got the best protection you can have is money really well spent. Again, that makes sense. And you know, that's why I am excited that we're talking about this right now before hunting season is here, before it's upon us. Now is the time to get prepared, meet with your attorney, get it all lined up, make sure that your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. That way you're ready when hunting season rolls around and it can be, it can be a great thing for your operation. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, it can be a great way to diversify your income. You know, it can be a great way to help manage wildlife on your property, but it can also be a disaster if something goes wrong and you haven't taken some of these steps ahead of time. Well, Tiffany, as we close out, I want to make sure that our listeners also know that you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. So my podcast is called Ag Law in the Field. And basically every episode, I just interview an ag lawyer or somebody involved in ag law on a different topic. We have currently done, I think, 103 episodes. So there are lots of options of topics to listen to. And I do want to mention and thank you guys. TSCRA is one of our sponsors of the podcast. So we really appreciate your support there. And we, I know we have a lot of TSCRA members who listen to the show and we sure hope it's helpful to them. Wonderful. Yeah, it's fun. Fun to get to partner on great things and with great people. So Tiffany, thank you again for your time today. Thank you for your wisdom and your insight. Joining us now is Grace Dunham, Executive Director of Events and Partnerships for TSCRA. Grace, welcome to TSCRA Talk. Thanks for having me, Kristen. Now, I'm so excited to talk to you about Cattle Raisers Convention this year. It's coming up this summer. Tell us about some of the highlights and the things we can look forward to. Well, we are really looking forward to hosting everyone this coming July. 
it's going to be a lot like the cattle raisers conventions that we've all grown to know and love in past years. We're going to have over 30 hours of educational opportunities within the School of Successful Ranching. We want to provide knowledge that people can take home that's timely and helpful to every rancher to improve their operations. We'll also have our regular live cattle demonstration opportunities where people can see different ways to handle your cattle in person and then also see different products being used in person on actual cattle. But we want to make sure we have resources for everyone across the board, whether they're a first-time landowner, a multi-generational rancher, or maybe they just have an interest in the cattle industry but don't own land or cattle themselves. Well, that's fantastic. It sounds like there will be so many opportunities and so much to learn. And can we expect to see the trade show this year too? This year, we're going to have over 250 exhibitors from all parts of the ranching and agriculture industry. Basically, anything that you would need for ranching, whether that's boots, hats, shoots, feeds, insurance, fencing, and anything beyond that. We're going to have exhibitors there that are ready to talk to you about their products and answer any questions that you have. Two more quick things. We're going to have another high-profile keynote speaker this year. We haven't announced them yet, but we're looking forward to telling everybody. And it's definitely something that people are not going to want to miss. And we'll also have the same kind of social opportunities that we've had in the past. So we'll have two receptions in the expo on Friday night and on Saturday night. And then we'll also have our annual dinner and dance on Saturday night with Jake Hooker and the Outsiders providing the musical entertainment. Well, it sounds like there will literally be something for everyone to enjoy. And registration is now open at cattleraisersconvention.com. Tell us more about registration. On the website, like we've had in past years, you'll be able to register for the convention and for your hotel room all in one place. And we'll also have some other opportunities to add on, like if you want to send your kids to Cal Camp, if you'd like a proceeding book, and a few other opportunities. Early bird pricing will last until June 1st, so we want to make sure people register before then. And if they have any other questions, they can call us at 800-242-7820 or email events at tscra.org. Well, that sounds fantastic. And with everything that's happened in the past year, things look a little bit different for in-person gatherings. So are there any big changes that attendees can expect or that they need to be prepared for? We are focused on having as normal of a convention as possible. And we want to make sure that while everybody gets together, we're doing it in a safe and healthy manner. Because of Governor Abbott's lifting of social distancing regulations, we won't have to limit the number of people that can attend this year. So we're really excited about that. And we've also got some other things to keep people safe. The Fort Worth Convention Center has a state-of-the-art sanitizing system, and we'll be providing no-touch registration during check-in. So, Grace, what if folks aren't able to attend? What if they have a conflict or just can't be there in person? We'll be having virtual options to join our School for Successful Ranching. Everybody should please stay tuned for details on that, and we will be announcing them here in the coming weeks. Well, that's great that there's that option as well. Grace, we appreciate the update today. Thank you for filling us in on Cattle Raisers Convention. We look forward to seeing everyone July 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And again, to learn more and register, visit cattleraisersconvention.com. Thank you again to Landvisor from Corteva AgriScience for sponsoring this episode. And as always, to learn more about TSCRA, visit tscra.org.